Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Ed, you know, hey man, it's funny. We get on the mic and we start talking. Usually, we're we're talking anywhere from thirty to forty five minutes before we even hit record. <laughs> I love this idea that you said, "Hey, let's just start recording some of that conversation." And we even we have bullet points and everything, man. I think uh, I think this might be a, a, a new pathway to shows every once in a while. Well, it's interesting. The only catch is, of course, you may have to do some editing because you never know what you're going to get out of just a conversation, you know? Not well, so yeah. You may have to yeah. do some extra editing. You never know. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. You know, hey, so I wanted to go back and comment on uh, their, our previous episode. We, we did the Star Wars one, <laughs> and I will tell you that I enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. I I laughed my butt off a few times, uh, especially at the very end, you know, when I finally brought in Jar Jar. You know, uh, he came in and did a little visit with Darth. <laughs> uh, but uh, other than that, man, I uh, I'm wondering, how's your COVID life going, brother? Well, uh, <laughs> actually, you know, I, I'm pretty much made for this, so I'm kind of. Not a social person. You know, my wife compared me to Red Foreman this week from that 70s show. <laughs> I saw that on Facebook. You said, I am not red. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm not sure how I take it, but every time we watch it and, you know, he's like rude to Bob, the neighbor. She's like, yep, yep. So <laughs> I am not rude. I talk to my neighbor. It's a language barrier. But uh, so I was kind of made for this. So, yeah, we've been keeping busy doing a, a variety of things, you know. Um, it's also easier, too, because I don't have young children to entertain. I just had the poodle, and we just take her for strolls through the woods here in, in beautiful uh, Rhineland Falls area of Germany. And and that kind of gets her, you know, it's the wife. The wife is a little more difficult to entertain. And I hate wearing that mask, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, I, I, uh-huh. I agree with you. I don't like it. That's why, I like, I mean, I obviously wear. So we don't. So here, I know, I know it's different for you there. There, it's it's very regulated, right? In Germany, here, oh, yeah. I mean, here in Colorado, it's not as regulated like that. Like, it's more like a, um, you know, social distancing slash, uh, I would say, common courtesy now to to wear the mask. And like, for instance, you say you mentioned you all go out walking and stuff. Well, we've been doing this hiking thing. Uh, a lot of you, if you're if you're followers of either me or Ed, you can you can see we we post pictures all the time. But yeah, and we did we did the pictures of you know in the mountains and stuff. But when we're in the mountains, we carry our mask in our pocket, and if we need it because of a you know a lot of people around, then we put it on. But in most cases, man, the trails are so freaking empty because it they're so long and there's very few going up there that you don't really need it, and it's kind of nice. But like you said, when I have to go to the PX or something and I got to wear it, I'm just like. Uh. Ugh. I hate this. Well, I got I so after almost two months, I finally got a stinking uh I got a haircut this week. You know? <laughs> two months. I want pictures, man. <laughs> but I have to wear the mask while they're washing my hair and cutting my you know, cutting my hair and I got this mask going around my ears and but the dude was masterful. He did not touch that mask, he didn't ask me to move it, and he did not miss a spot. So yeah, I mean, he he had a little skill. Um yeah, if you're going 
so if you're going out for a walk, it's, you don't have to uh, necessarily have it. Yeah, it's like if you're going into some place or um, the the other thing here, and I don't know if it's the same there. So in Germany, the Chancellor Chancellor Merkel is just getting ready to make some changes. Uh, I think they take place the 13th. Restaurants will be opening again on the inside, okay. but yeah. it has to be by all restaurants or reservation only. So that includes like a McDonald's um, reservation only. And they have to have your address and phone number so that I guess if something happens, somebody comes up positive and they can tie it into your reservation, they can contact you, you know? So the Germans have done that. Lots of fines. They were very uh, expensive fines too. So the one thing they're changing now, it used to be you could, it could only be uh, groups of people who live in the same household. Uh, even on like a walk, you know? So now they've opened it up where it can be two families can go for a walk together. Oh, okay. They're opening it up a little bit. Yeah. Gyms are not open yet, but so for us, we have general order number two, which was issued by our commanding general. So even if the gyms open up, it states in there, we can't go to a gym. You can't go to a salon. You can't go to a spa. Like he has, he mimics what's going on in the States pretty much with his general orders uh, and then part of it is and then follow all regulations as laid out by the host nation so because we're really you know we're visitors here in germany so we follow whatever the chancellor puts out yeah oh yeah, yeah. i mean you know and the thing is it's pretty much it seems like that across the board like so for instance because we still we still see and monitor messages from back at fort campbell and you see stuff going on there which is I'm telling you, it seems like uh, there's a, it, it's a little bit different than even here. However, just like here, it's kind of like whatever the governor is setting as the parameters. That's yeah. kind of what we're, we're we're following along. Um, well, one thing is is you know we've started doing PT in small groups of three again, right? So oh, really? so basically, team yeah, team leaders. Uh, yeah, and, 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 you know, they're out there, they can do it throughout the day, any point of the day, you know, so because I mean, obviously, people aren't going into physical work to do things, but we're still, we're still be, you know, we're still that that force multiplier ready to, you know, kind of to handle whatever mission, in a sense that the, the US throws at us. So we still have to prepare, we have to do all these different things. So we're still getting after it. It's just we're do- going about it differently. And And groups of three, though, I think that's kind of a to me, that's a good way to kind of build uh, the the team and get that leader engagement that is kind of needed to ensure everything is going okay, you know? Yeah, I actually think that when you work in small groups like that, I mean, we learned it at the academy. When you focus on small groups like that, you build a connection, like a genuine connection. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good idea. It sounds great. I mean, yeah, we're not doing – there's no kind of PT. I, I went to one of my – uh, friends she got promoted to master sergeant on uh thursday and at the ceremony she had an outdoor ceremony and uh part of the announcement you know at the beginning of the ceremony will begin in five minutes part of that was please maintain six feet social distance and please put on your mask <laughs> so <laughs> yeah oh it's funny we did the same thing man we had we, uh, we had to promote one of our captains uh, our lieutenants to captain and it I took pictures too. It's funny because, like, it, when you see the pictures, like all these, it's just like sporadic people 
and, yeah. and, and a large, you know, and, and it wasn't like a large amount of people, but just spread out, and everybody's got masks on. All speeches are given with a mask on and stuff. It's just, it's crazy yeah. though, man. Like how something like this, you know, looking at it, can completely change the way life goes on. But in some way, we also figure out like how to get beyond it. You know, I was talking to Michelle the other day and uh, about how I've noticed it businesses have had to learn to restructure how they conduct business. Oh yeah. Like for instance, restaurants. Like that's a it's yeah. a big thing here of like ordering your stuff online, either driving there and picking it up uh, at the curbside, going through a drive-through, or it being delivered to your home, you know? Um yeah. we Chick-fil-A. We're we're a huge Chick-fil-A fans here and uh Michelle will be ordering our food to dr- we'll be driving there. It'll be ordered and then she just has to hit the button once we get there, once we're parked and then it comes out, you know, and then we just go on our day. In a sense, because I think I brought up earlier about uh we had to pick up our I told you a story about before we got on about we had to we were out hiking and we had to hurry back down the mountain to pick up our groceries. Well, she had put together our grocery order the night prior, set up a pickup time, and then you think about how much t- less time is wasted, though. Like it's almost like the the person who's getting their groceries, they actually have more time to do stuff because now they don't have to walk around the store and do all that. Literally, it's a let me order this real quick while I'm doing something else, you know, adding things to the cart, and then I just got to go pick it up on my designated time. I mean, it's kind of altering the way things are done. Yeah, I think it's, there's some things that will come out of this that, you know, you kind of like to see these be the new procedures such as that, that uh, on the backside of, of the COVID, you know, whatever that looks like, that you're like, hey, I hope. So for me, you know, like one thing we're doing at work is we're doing um, our mandatory training through one of the systems provided to us to do it online, right? So some of us, we cannot stop what we're doing for half a day and go sit in a classroom and watch training. But I can work from my office and on my second screen, have the slides up and listen to the training. You know what I mean? So that's one of the things I'm really hoping the military sticks with that, or at least my unit sticks with that as a means to mitigate because I, I, I don't go to training because I can't, I cannot leave my office for three or four hours you know what I mean? So that's one of the yeah. things, but there's others and there's others in the civilian sector. I think will be amazing updates and, and you know, these, these businesses hopefully keep these things in place. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think, you know, listen to you and how you explained it. I think it's, uh, you, it, you have to take that uh, and how you apply it depends upon maybe say the level of uh, responsibility that's going on, you know, in the back, you know, background, because for instance, your level of responsibility is much different than that of say a private working in a supply room at a local Bravo company. You know what I mean? Like there's two different things here. That that soldier at that local company should be able to take the time to physically get into some training. And also at the same time, you've been in long enough, Ed, that, you know how to take this stuff serious and you know, you know, what needs to happen with the training. You you understand training, you know, you have, you've developed where a private, they're not going to 
they're going to ignore it. You know what I mean? They're just, it's just going to be playing in the background. They're not going to be, Oh, that's a good point. You know, I'm glad I, that was brought up things like that. You know? So there's, I think it's has a lot to do with experience, education level, um, seniority sort of. And I hate to say that because I'm not one that likes to set anyone apart. You know what I mean? Like I don't, you've heard me say before, I don't like to call it the lower enlisted because they're not, to me, they're not lower than me. I like to call it junior enlisted. They're just junior because they haven't been in things like that. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, but that's at at our level, that's our level to decide, Hey, yeah, this one needs to go to the train because you also have uh, very mature. So we talked about Andy, who's who we talked about earlier, his fundraiser and Andy, I could have sent, into the office and he to listen to that training. So that goes back to how we've talked about many times, like understanding yeah. those people that work with and for you yes, and, and then managing it based off of like, I know he's going to listen. I don't need to send him. Whereas Carlos, I know he's not going to listen. He's going to goof around and I need to send him to sit down in the training. So, but it's just one of those things with COVID that, you know, from a professional side, you know, and, and that kind of reminds me, Ed, um, that it basically brings me to one of the points that I had sent you uh, that I thought, hey, we should kind of talk about this a little bit, uh, was the decentralized command thing, right? And it's knowing when you should use it and when you shouldn't. You know, uh, one of the things that I, I caught with Jocko's book uh, as I'm going through is he talks about, he's like, yeah, you can't always use decentralized command, but in most cases, you should be able to. And to me, deciding on when you want to do that training, when you don't want to, who you want there, who you don't want. To me, that is kind of a decentralized thing. You know, uh, I mean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that that comes back. So it's a couple of things there again, still knowing who you're working with and for, but yeah, decentralized command can't be used all the time. So you think about, we'll, we'll use military cause it's the easiest, but in a firefight, I'm the guy in charge. I'm the guy in charge, you know? Yeah, you need to be able to make some adjustments, and and they need to be able to understand how to improve their position and, and to eliminate the threat. But overall, I'm still going to have to make some of those calls on the ground type of thing. There's, there's scenarios when, you know, it's very much you. Um, yeah. You know, like, uh, so for instance, what I do now, we work with, you know, um, partner nations, right? Well, I am the only person that talks to the partner nation or my office, because if not, the water could get muddy real quick and people could be committing to things that are, you know, they're not allowed to or are wrong. If I let the person who's planning these engagements talk to the country. So the way it's designed is, and actually it is a job type. My boss's real job title is single point of contact host nation support. And I'm like, wow. That's not a job title. He's like, no, that's legitimately the job title. And every country in Europe has a single point of contact for host nation support. Yeah. And that, that funnels. So that's decentralized now because it's really me and that country making these, this, you know, talking. Now, what happens is the country says, hey, I need to know X, Y, Z. I reach out to the subject matter experts and say, hey, you know, this country is asking these questions. I need answers by tomorrow at, at the close of business. Yeah. And then they'll send it to me. I'll package it. I'll write up a nice, polite email. Greetings. Good morning. Hope you're well. Da, da, da. I have these questions or answers, whatever. And then I send it back to the country. So, um, you know, real crucial. Obviously, like I do stuff with aviation. I'm not a flight guy. Um, so when they ask aviation questions, I can't answer them, but I'm still the funnel. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get a subject matter expert or SME to uh, to help you if there's questions that you don't know answers to. Yeah, so I'm centralized, but then beyond me, when I reach back to them, I'm more decentralized. Like, hey, yeah, here, get me some answers on this. So, and and that's and that's the point behind it. You know, like some people don't understand what it means to be decentralized. For instance, um, it, in a simple way, is me. If I give tasks out to my platoon sergeants, I say, hey, this was what needs to get done. And then I just let them go with it. To me, that's decentralized versus I have tasks and then I say, okay, it needs to be done this way, this way, and this way to ensure we meet the intent. I'm pretty much starting to centralize that. It's, it's not completely because they may still interject their little pieces, but it's it's starting like basically I have more control over the situation or some people like to call it micromanagement uh, or anything like that. Right. <laughs> um, but that's the thing is for, for influencers or leaders to understand how to utilize it. They also have to know their people, right? You, you have to have some type of leader engagement to understand. You know, I brought that up earlier. I said something about leader engagement and we're going to go a little more into it, but you kind of have to have that. Cause if, if I just give, snuffy a project and i don't know their capabilities their talents their um their their ability to use time management i may have just uh messed over that soldier i may have set him up for failure or set the unit up for failure or even set myself up for failure so there's multiple layers to this that we have to look at you know yeah and so that's one of the things I, that's why when you sent me these slides i was like oh these are i mean all of them are pretty uh pretty interesting but you know before we move off of decentralized command Brian, one thing i think of when i think of decentralized command i think of growth and learning okay because if you don't exercise decentralized command those leaders that, that are put in your charge they're not going to grow because they don't yeah. understand yep i want a matter of fact when i do it i want you to make a mistake as long as it's not something serious to get somebody hurt or whatever i want you to make a mistake yeah, because I want to mentor you and help you learn from that mistake, you know, and continue to 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 your lifelong learning process through decentralized command. So when I see decentralized command, and when I've read all the stuff we've read about Jocko and and all his points on it, that is like one of the key elements of it to me is the learning mm -hmm. piece. I love that you, you know? brought up that learning piece. I literally just finished up uh, my most recent class uh, towards my degree plan. And in it towards this, this last week, when you talk about learning, I didn't really know this, that's what it was called. But, um, so there's what you call single loop learning and double loop okay. learning, right? So double loop learning, you're actually learning from mistakes. You're taking feedback, you're doing all, you know, I, and then the single loop learning, those are the type that you have to be cautious of because they're the ones who they don't like criticism. They don't like to uh, to be uh, corrected whatsoever. They they don't like involvement of the group. They just want to do it themselves type of situation. And it's it's just mm -hmm. I love the idea too because and I think I remember Jocko saying something about that in his book uh, where he did mention uh, about its decentralized command equates to you know the team learning uh, different echelons and they, they, they get to learn from the actual uh, task or mission at hand and you're growing them. And to me, that's probably one of the key aspects of a leader is you're, 
you're really your real job is to make sure everyone else knows how to do your job by allowing them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and that's where the mentorship and, you know, all that comes into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, you know, with decentralized command, like I said, it's just a growth process. It's very yeah. important. Yeah. Um, not easy. It's not easy because no. overall responsibility. So for you, the company, you know, the overall responsibility of the good order and discipline of the company really falls on you and your commander. Oh, yeah. So when that platoon sergeant, you know, you give that platoon sergeant, hey, here's your guidance, make it happen. But when that range fails, odds are that platoon sergeant is not going to stand on the carpet. No. It's probably going to be you and your commander. So mm-hmm. it's hard to let go of that. But then that goes back to all the times we've talked about trust. You have to have that trust in your leaders, in your organization, that they're going to make it happen. Now, yeah. you know, what's the old thing? Uh, inspect, not expect. So, yeah, you, you do need to go and you need to make sure, you know, spot check here and there, not stand over their shoulder. Yeah. But um, it's funny you, you said know, inspect. Check. You said it's funny you yeah. said inspect, not uh, expect. Um, I literally just use trust but verify uh, multiple times this week with my platoon sergeants oh. and, and just using key phrases like that, it kind of keep, you know, you keep engaging them on things like that. If you do it a lot, they tend to remember and they want to do it. Uh, I, I'd heard something some time ago about like, if you're, if you say it and you think you're saying it too much, you're not saying it enough. I brought that up yesterday mm-hmm. when we were doing article 15 on a, on a young soldier, uh, it, which i uh, happy to say, I think the young man learned from the lesson and the punishment wasn't too uh, drastic. You know, uh, I was I was really happy with the outcome of it. And I and I to tell you the truth, as I stood beside my commander and he was, you know, imposing UCMJ, I was very proud at his thought process and how he took every little detail to ensure he was completely fair by the soldier. And he no no joke, Ed, he literally said some of this is my fault. He said that at the desk. And I was like, wow, really? You just took ownership of this soldier uh, failing at something, and you basically said, "I've got to do something to make this right," you know, types it. But it was it was awesome. It was extreme ownership to the next level. But that is so like for for somebody to do that, and, and especially in a position of command like that, and be yep. willing to accept like that. I don't even know your commander, but that just, that speaks, you know, that speaks volumes, as you would say, um, about who he is as a commander and as a leader. And then, you know, really for me, the sad thing about guys like that, he's a commander now, but really this is for the officers. It's kind of the end of the road for their direct um, impact on, on, on young soldiers, because after this, you know, they go on, they become majors, XOs. Yeah. You know, my commander's a major, so because it's a oh, uh, because yeah, you're in a Bravo yeah, company, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so aviation's a little different. So, but this is still <laughs> for him. This is his last real yeah. impact on soldiers is now. Um, and, and then you, it's terrible because you hear stories about guys like that or gals like that uh, that have those leader attributes you're looking for and are willing to accept responsibility. Um, oh yeah, oh, and, I, and then that's it. Like yeah. after this no more real direct impact on a young soldier. So it's, it's mm-hmm. unfortunate for the officer side downs. Yeah. Well, and you know what I do enjoy about him too, and, and this is going to kind of lead me into the leader engagement part, but I, I really enjoy the fact that he is one of those ones. 
he he'll look over at me and he'll say, "Top, what do you think?" You know, or you know, first one, what do you think? And I, you don't you don't always get that right. I've I've dealt no. with some where they just they literally treat you like you know that, and and this is going to lead into that frustration thing that we talked about earlier too. But where they literally treat you. <laughs> Like you're just a figure standing there, you have no purpose type situation versus this yeah. guy, he has complete faith in, you know, his senior non-commissioned officer advisor that he actually utilizes that, which is, it's, it's a good thing. Um, I, you know, I wanted to ask you too, what do you think, Ed, that leader engagement looks like? Like when, when we get into like, for instance, being engaged as a leader, what does that like a, a word picture look like to you, man? Well, with leader engagement, so I, I think that probably could go multiple ways with what leader engagement looks like. But you know, we've talked about. Um, I, I think it's being involved. I think that. So when I came in the army in the, in the early nineties, you did not interact with your first sergeant. You did not interact with your commander. Or your executive officer. You know, you're very limited beyond your section sergeant, who you interacted with. And I think that that was one of the flaws. Now, looking back, that's a flaw of the leadership at that point because you don't understand who I am as a soldier if we don't interact. And I think that's where that walk around leadership comes in, into play. I think that for you as a first arm, one of the things I love that first arms have the opportunity to do is you can pick any of your platoons and say, I'm going to do PT with this platoon this week. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. a week of PT. I mean, let's be honest, Brian, a week of physical training with your soldiers, you can learn a great deal from them. You know whose weaknesses are what when it comes mm -hmm. to physical training, just mm -hmm. based off that week, you can see some leaders, you can see some informal leaders that you can identify now. Mm -hmm. So then when you're having your meetings about who should be going to soldier month or promotion boards, you can literally bring up by name and say, hey, what about Sarn Lewis? Yeah. You know, I, I did PT with that platoon two weeks ago. Sarn Lewis really took control. And I think he's ready to make that move to staff sergeant or, or whatever. And the same thing in the civilian sector. Obviously, they're not going to do physical training, but you can grab lunch with some people from work. You could, you know, there's a variety of ways you can engage with them yeah. and get to know them. And I think that that's important for the rapport aspect of it, you know, and then understanding who's there and being a leader of presence, which we've also we have talked about, you know, um, not being an absentee leader is, is crucial oh. to developing a young leader and a team. And when you're the example, you're developing another leader of presence by your presence. So uh, that's kind of where I go with leadership, you know, um, with with that, I man, I lost my train of thought. That's where I go with I because I keep wanting to say leadership presence, and it's not leadership presence, but we're talking about but we're talking about engagement, yeah. Um engage leadership engagement. Yeah. But I, leadership engagement, leadership presence in my mind are, you know, really synonyms for one another, Brian. I think you're right. And I, I like the fact that you brought up about how when we were younger Joes that you didn't approach the first sergeant, you didn't talk to the commander, stuff like that. And oh no. Man, and to tell you the truth, brother, I am I, I've wanted to take that mindset and completely reverse it. I've I've felt that way for years. It has always drove me crazy. And I don't know where that idea that 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 you know that first sergeant or the or even that sergeant major, you know, that they can't be approached. To me, I think that right there is the first level of toxicity in a sense. 
because it's almost like I'm too good for you. Don't you bother me, you, you know? And I hate that, man. Like if there's, if there's anything I could stress within an organization where I'm part of, and I, I guarantee you, so the unit here that they, they're they don't know me quite yet because you know how this COVID thing has been working with us and and we're so spread out we we don't interact as much we're still getting things done we're just doing it differently, um but if you asked soldiers who were uh, with me in Korea, they would give you all a different point. Anyone talk to me? Anyone can walk in my office and sit down and have a conversation. The only time they weren't allowed to is if the door was closed and they was usually knock. But there was reasons behind. You know, I would close my door so I had time to work on things and I didn't get uh, interrupted. However, I just I feel like like that mentality of you know like the first one is supposed to be this mean, gruff person who's just um, unapproachable and just destroys your life if you do something. Like no. My job is, I don't see that anywhere in my job title. I've never seen that anywhere. I see advisor. I see mentor. I see uh, a leader. I see responsible. Like That word right there, responsible alone, to me, says, oh my goodness, I better talk to every single person I can so I understand what is going on with them so I can be fully responsible and take that ownership, you know? Yeah, so I really, I really believe that 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 mentality comes from pre Cold War era um, military. I think it, like Vietnam, maybe even as far back as World War Ones and Two. I think that 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 you don't talk to me. I'm the first sergeant thing goes way back because back then, really, the disciplinarian was the first sergeant. So he wanted to be cold and feared because. We now say, hey, being feared is bad for leadership. But, you know, back then the philosophy was it it was effective. Part of being an effective leader was to be feared. So I think it's just a holdover. I I don't know how it survived this long. Yeah. Um, Because it's still there. There's still pockets of it. Yeah. And and it is a learned behavior, right? Like, you know, so maybe let's say you were that leader. Well, I'm going to learn it from you. And then now Andy's going to learn it from me. And then now we're that's three generations of soldiers that we've spread that idea with. So mm-hmm. it is something that needs to go away completely. It has not, but I, I do. I think it goes back to like years and years historically of military and of that first orange role. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And that, that kind of leads me into the next point I wanted to kind of talk to you about. Cause I thought, well, that, you know, that makes sense because you're basically doing an analysis of how things have developed throughout the years. Now, does it always mean that it's for the right or for the good? Not always, but it's, it's the idea that we're trying to do what's right and what's good, you know? Uh, but so if you take Ed, you take, and you look at from the time that you joined way back in the 1950s, right. To now. <laughs> you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Not my friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, have a, I do have a birthday coming up, though. Oh, I know, man. I can't wait. You would turn what sixty-seven, yeah. or I'll, I'll be at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what I did. Don't mind. Um, but you, so you look at the time you, the first time you joined, you know, and I know you got out and whatnot. Um, and then you joined all the way up until, uh, till now, right? And you, and you kind of, and analyze everything and you look at you know the the different satisfactions and frustrations of being a leader oh, man. you know what, what are your <laughs> thoughts on that piece just kind of noticing that before we dive into like actual satisfactions and frustrations 
Well, I, I can tell you one thing that I, I really missed out on. So when I was in, in the in the early nineties, I was right at the level where it's like, okay, it's time for him to be promoted to sergeant. But the system was designed very different then. If you did not go to the primary leadership development course, you didn't even go to the promotion board. And I turned down the course with more than a year left in the military. So I kind of was like, hey, no, I am getting out. Of course, this is what happens when you send a 19-year-old to Fort Drum, New York, and in the middle of winter. But um, So I I really wish I'd have been in a leadership position then Mm -hmm. to be able to really compare what it was like. Because then I would have known what it was like to be a sergeant in 1994 and a sergeant in 2005. Um, I <laughs> think about that, man. That's so long ago, yeah. but over the years, there's a lot of things. So I looked at what you wrote down and, and, and I didn't know how we were going to really work this. I, I mean, I would say number one for me, satisfaction, right? My satisfaction. Number one thing is the pride and it's not the pride in me necessarily. It's the pride in uh, those are that we, we've worked with or who have been our junior leaders. So good example, young soldier gets in trouble with his first sergeant, you know, gets what we call rehabilitative transfer to another unit. I come to that unit coming from Texas. I come to New York to this unit. Soldier is anti-military. Like I am done. I hate my life. I hate this job. You know, he he gets there right just before me. Uh, we have a dynamic platoon sergeant named Sergeant Gil- Gilbert Ramirez, who is actually right there where you are right now. I think he works for the cable company. Um, <laughs> he has such an influence on us as a leader that that soldier, you know, this is in 2008, nine, that soldier ends up reenlisting at zero hour, you know, like, hey, if you don't reenlist today, tomorrow you can't. So the soldier reenlists, he gets married, he has three wonderful children. Um, you know, the soldier uh, originates from Compton, California. He'll tell you in a heartbeat, he did not grow up in the greatest environment. But so he does all this. Well, that soldier made sergeant first class last year. He called me, you know. So he has gone from I hate the army and I'm a private first class in 2008-ish to now 12 years later, I'm a sergeant first class and getting looked at master sergeant, getting looked at for master sergeant a year after next. That is pride. I am proud of that soldier. So that that's the time when I say pride, it's more about the pride I have in those that I've had who worked for me or were my junior enlisted soldiers than my own. But then there's a pride of service, man. I've been doing this for 23 years. <laughs> Um, and, oh, yeah. and you know what I mean? Like 23 years, like I am proud oh, yeah. of what I've done. And when I retire, I will be proud of my body of work. Is there things I could have done better? Yep. Are there things that I regret not doing or doing probably, but that overall, that pride, um, man, I am rambling today, but so this week, <laughs> this week, right. I work with, I work with yeah. somebody and they're very much about finances and we were talking about awards and, and they say, well, I don't care if my award gets from, uh, approved or not. It's not going to change my check. And I don't know what happened, Brian. I just like did the whole, 
It has to, it's about pride. It's about pride in what you do. It's about the pride in what you've done for this organization while you're here. It ain't everything's not about money. And he says, yeah, yeah. well, for me it is. I said, then you have issues, and I don't know how you've made it this far in your career. So <laughs> it's just like there's a pride. Was he from the, say again? Is he from the east side? Is he from the east side or the O side? Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, all day. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So just it was just like I, I don't know it clicked normally i ignore you know comments like that from him but it just clicked and i was like it's pride it's what you do so for me brian my biggest satisfaction throughout my 23 year career is is just the pride and, and you know being able to put that yeah. uniform every day and, and influence young you know young hoods uh, to go out and do great things <laughs> <laughs> he said young hoods yeah what about you, Brian? Like, let's talk about pride. We'll go. We'll go back to our frustrations because I'm sure it's a laundry list for both of us. Oh, it is. It, it can be. Uh, I would definitely say some. Uh, there's two things that primarily stick out on the list that I generated there um, when it comes to satisfactions. Uh, one of them, you probably already would figure this out, is helping others. Mm-hmm. Like that is a, that's like a massive satisfaction because, in a sense, it's almost like you have purpose, you have meaning, which is pride. Um, and then the other one is opportunities. But I want to jump into the helping others first. All right. And w- with that, it's like you you know when you've helped someone and actually was meaningful. And they know that you actually cared about helping them. And then the trust builds. Oh, yeah. And that's how like that's how I know that I have created a relationship with someone. You know, it I try to make, you know, try to make it a point to be interactive enough to what I did. I, I can create relationships with everyone I come in contact with, but you can't always do that. And in a sense, if you think about it, and it, it's almost kind of like uh, something I learned during recruiting, it's, it, you know, about referrals and stuff. Like how do you, how do you earn a referral? Right. If I put someone in the army and I do them right, I tell them the truth. I help them try to, you know, succeed and all that stuff. They're going to refer a friend to join the army because they know I took care of them. That's a trust piece. Well, it's the same thing as a leader, right? Helping others. If I help Joe Snuffy, then McGillicuddy finds out that I helped out Snuffy. McGillicuddy's going to come to me and ask me and talk to me, and they're not going to be scared to. So now what we're doing is we're creating that team environment that trust is the primary, you know, one of those primary things with integrity and, and, and just, you know, helping others is the overarching effect in a sense. Um, I, and you can't help everyone. That's the sad thing, Ed, is there's sometimes where you're just like, I cannot believe this issue that has taken place. You're right. I mean, and you've you've seen them just like I have. And I'm not gonna like give specific instances <laughs> of those because I wouldn't wanna I don't I don't wanna put people's business on the street, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but but at the same time, it's I mean, when you when you hear some of these stories and and or you're dealing with some of the things that are going on, you're just like, I cannot believe somebody is like that or i can't believe somebody would do that and it so good example right we had to do some barracks inspections uh most recently and you know what barracks inspections are you go into some room (laughs) you dreaded them didn't you oh man (laughs) but hey so this is a leader engagement thing but and and people may be like Barrett's inspections. You guys still do those things? It's not what people think, but in a sense, you know, we still have to maintain our, those government quarters. You know, if if my commander absolutely wanted to come inspect my home because I live on post, 
he can. He I can't tell him no. You know, um, it, 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 he he has to go through certain lines of the law to be able to do so. But I mean, yeah, that's Michelle. just part of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, now that yeah, he'd probably have to go through her to make sure. But hey, um, but with the barracks inspections, as we're going through, you know, you have some rooms where they're just immaculate, and you're like, wow, man, this this is awesome. This is this is definitely awesome uh, to have a soldier that wants to take care of things. But then you go to some rooms, and you're like, I can't believe they would allow themselves to live this way, this trifling, this dirtiness, this, you know, I mean, I, I, and buddy, I've seen it in the past and I've seen it just recently where you walk into a room and you're like, where do you walk in the room? What is that smell? Where is that coming from? Right. And if we don't engage them on this, because in a sense, and and I, I explained this to one of my staff sergeants the other day, too, when we were doing it, because he's like, I can't believe they live. I'm like, well, let's think about this. The reason they probably live like this is because this is what was accepted, and this is how they grew up. They learned that. That's a learned trait, you, you know, just to be trifling and nasty. That Their house probably looked like that growing up, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had another talk with a soldier who who actually did have a place like that, and and I asked him, I, I up front asked him, I said, is, is this how life was when you grew up? And he said, yeah, this is what my house looked like. So I, you know, that, that's, that's how we lived. And I said, but how does it make you feel when I talk to you about it? He, and he said, I'm embarrassed. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're embarrassed because you're starting to understand that, yeah, maybe that's not okay. You know, I may have lived that way, but I've got to change how I am and who I am for the better. And uh, I think the conversation went pretty well with that particular individual. But to me, like those, that's just one way for leader engagement, you know, hitting that. And then the satisfaction of helping others become their better self. Because at some point, you know, just as well as I do, this army thing only lasts for so long. You have to yeah. exit. Everyone has to exit. There's no one who gets to stay in the army forever, you know, except for those who, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice. They're considered in the army forever. But, what I'm getting at though, it's, it's just unbelievable. And then opportunities, like I'm telling you, man, uh, the opportunities of a leader are just unbelievable. I mean, I've got guys that Ed, you do too, because you just brought it up. I've got guys that still conversate with me. They still reach out to me. I have nothing. I have no say in their career. I have, I have no um, interaction in a sense, like how I could help bolster, bolster it up or, or, diminish it down but they still want to talk to me like that to me that's an opportunity because at some point they're going to get out of the army they're going to get a job they're going to want um some advice or they're going to want to offer a job to you as you were once their leader now you yeah. may have to work for them you never know man so yeah, yeah that's, that's my thought yeah that's <laughs> it's funny but it's it's 100 percent true yeah opportunities so i had opportunities too but i went a whole different route like uh you know we've talked about some of my travels here in europe would i've had those opportunities without the military in my life you know yeah, uh, yeah college yeah. would i have went to college if the military didn't say hey you're never going to get promoted without college i might have but would i i mean i'm i came from a uh, you know, middle lower class area of Prince George's County, Maryland. I, it wasn't a norm to go to college. It just wasn't. You finished school, you went to work, and you worked your tail off forty to fifty hours a week. Like, you know, so those are the opportunities I I look at. Like, 
providing for my wife. Um, you know, those, those different things, my daughter's using part of my, you know, my government, um, college money for her college. My son used some for his, those are the opportunities I kind of look at. And we got to see the world. I mean, we got to go to Afghanistan. We got to go to Iraq, yeah. Haiti, Somalia, oh, <laughs> but yeah. Oh yeah, man. Hey, Going back to Afghanistan, uh, I'm thinking about getting a summer home there. I mean, I've been there so much. So, I, I you know, at one point I thought I was living there. Uh, I went through a, I went through a pretty good stretch from oh what oh four to 2010. I had at least 30 days in country every year from oh four to 2010. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah, did a pretty good stretch yeah. of. Yeah, like visiting once a year at least. Like, oh, where do you want to go on vacation? Hawaii? No, I'm going to Baghdad. Like, so. But those are still, <laughs> yeah, who goes to Baghdad for this? You know? Yeah, it's funny. It, it, so, have you ever um have you watched the uh, the show Blue Bu- Blue Bloods? I I have never watched that show. My son actually wrote a review for it when he was in college when it first came out, like in upstate New York. Yeah, he wrote for the newspaper for it. Really? So it's pretty good. And and I, I'm leading into that because of a story yeah, that happened last <laughs> night. So, uh, but anyways, the, my main attraction to it was Tom Selleck. You know, I mean, that mustache is just amazing. So I think, and then when he looks at people and he's able to give such wise wisdom, I'm just, I, I even look over to my wife sometimes. I'm like, man, he is so awesome. You know, <laughs> she'll just laugh. He's no, he's no, he's no Sam Elliott, but. No, no, but I mean, they're on the, to me, they're on the same level almost because of the, the, how they approach things, you know? Uh, but so we're watching it, we're watching it and I'm like, I'm actually getting into it and I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. And I, I'm, so I, I've had plenty of police officers in my family throughout, you know, the past. I'm not one to be into that type of career field. I'm not a law enforcement type guy. I do enjoy the army. Um, but we're a different type of law enforcement, so to speak. Um, if you, if you want to, consider it that i not always but uh but last night she looks over and she says you know she's like i think this is really nice what they do and how good they work so she's like but don't ever try to become a, a police officer and i'm like i'm like ah, yeah no i'm not going to but i just thought it was yeah, funny yeah. you know that <laughs> she would try to you know she she kind of placed it that way and the reason was she says i know how much you like doing all like all the different things like going to you know going on deployments and going on training missions and do all these different things. She's like, but yeah, I just don't think I could deal with that continuously for the rest of her life. And I was like, you know, you're right. But it, it was funny how she said that because of how much I do enjoy this show. And I'm like, man, you know, it's like, it's kind of like doing a deployment, but you never have to leave the country. <laughs> so how, how yeah. would she feel about you wearing a, a black outfit and driving a black car around the city and fighting crime? Maybe. I mean, there's a possibility, right? With a mask. Do I get to wear a mask? Yeah, with a nice mask. Maybe maybe Absolutely. without the young ward. You probably don't want the young ward. That's accusations and just yeah, craziness. Yeah, yeah. But- yeah people, <laughs> people talk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we should do another. Uh, What's that? I think I think we got to go into frustrations, Brian. Oh, man. I hey, think we, we got to. Yeah. I, no. I, you know what? I love, I love the idea that we can kind of have candid conversations and we can talk about things. And you and I are both about, we're about positivity. You, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, we want to be around positive people. We want positive actions. I mean, crap, that's why we've done this show for so long. We love that positivity of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's okay every once in a while to kind of 
harp on things and be like, I'm really frustrated with this because it's almost like a way for you to get out how you're feeling. At the same time, when we have that conversation, like we're going to conversate about it. We can also come up with new ideas, new ways to approach it, you know, things like that. And we can also take advice from each other or other people. So, yeah, I mean, hey, let's jump into some frustrations oh, of being a leader. <laughs> what, what do you got, man? It's funny because I actually experienced one this week, um, yesterday, as a matter of fact. So, like I said before, I interact a lot with the partner countries here in Europe. And what, what happens is... You know, we, we do these exercises or, or rotations where units actually come here to train. And I'm the one that makes sure, hey, it's okay for that unit to come and train in said country, whatever the country is. Um, and I coordinate all their food and their where they're going to live and all that good stuff. So this week I have been interacting with a country and we're going to leave it at that. And, and back and forth with a 06, which is a, a colonel, a full bird colonel. And he's been emailing me. I've been emailing him. He'll ask me questions. I track down these answers for him, send them back. He's like, hey, thanks. Really appreciate it. You know, and all this stuff. Well, I just found out yesterday that apparently some questions were raised about if a uh, sergeant first class or a senior NCO is the right level to interact with a 06 or a colonel. And it's frustrating to me because one in our military for a 06 colonel, I probably have more years of service than a lot of them, you know, um, or, or equal and, to. and I just felt like, yeah, or equal to, and I'm, I'm literally making the things happen that, this, you know, he's asking for, I'm getting him his answer. So I don't, it'd be different if he asked me for something and it's three weeks and he still hasn't heard back, you know? Yeah. So I, I mean, I was frustrated by it. Like, you know, and, and I overheard the conversation. It was an ear hustle. Wasn't really directed at me, but still it's just a front and it is a thing. So it's unfortunate, but even in our military, you know, from time to time, Brian, we do run into where, because we're non-commissioned officers and not commissioned officers, we're looked at differently. Um, you know, and you and I had the discussion that one of the things is, you know, back in the day the you talked about earlier to not being able to approach your first arm. And that's because all they were, were the disciplinarian. And then they evolved into, you know, uh, when we weren't in any kind of real conflict for a while, they evolved into coffee makers. Like, yeah, and now the army has gone back to like you know they want us educated now. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, they want us uh you know able to write the same white paper that that officer can write. They want us to you know be able to think creative and critically, and, and, and I think that's the, we're going in the right direction. I, I really do as non-commissioned officers, but it's frustrating to be looked down on because I'm not an officer. So just yeah. That was really soapboxy right there, man. <laughs> you know, when I was listening to your story earlier, and then I listened to it again just now, I the first thing that comes to mind, Ed, is ego. Like, that was the very first thing. I'm thinking, man, somebody's got an ego trip. They think they're too good or too far above mm -hmm. to interact. And that just falls back on that idea of you're not better than those around you. It, you know, there's and, – and obviously – you're talking about a, another country, so it, it, and it's not. But I've seen that in our own 
yeah branch of service i've seen that you know what i mean like that's not something that's just well oh it's just that country no that's something that happens and people don't learn from or they do learn from but yeah that to me like that's i mean i could see how that is a frustration um you know uh one of the things that you brought up that and that i look at that it has frustrated me in the past, but I'm glad that we've been making this shift, this change. Cause you said, you know, we're, our schooling, we're, we're starting to develop more in the schooling. Oh yeah. But the thing is, is we have what we have leadership experience. So look at it this way, you know, in most cases, a non-commissioned officer of Sergeant E five, when they start, they start leading. I, I think I was 22 or 23 when yeah. I became a Sergeant E five. I'm now 41 as a first sergeant, right? So, yeah, that's that's a long span of time that, and every time, and I've I've been in very few. The only times that I wasn't in charge or um or wasn't leading soldiers would been my three years of recruiting. That is it. Out of out of 21 years, 18 of them I've had soldiers in my charge. Now let's 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 back this up. Because I had I had this conversation with an officer, and actually I had a, a conversation with my favorite sergeant major just the other day about it, not too long ago. Um, let's take an officer side of things, and this is nothing to take away from them because I love the fact of how they get to do certain things, and I kind of wish we got to. Uh, they they become a platoon leader as an LT normally, right. right? And then they disappear for a little while, go into staff, do things like that. So they may be an LT platoon leader for six months to a year. Then they get moved to another position where they'll probably do a staff job. And then they may uh, make captain, go to the captain's career course. Then they get a command, right? So right. from the time they're a butter bar, they'll, they'll, they'll become, yeah. you know, then they get promoted and then they get promoted again to captain. There's a big span there where, they don't have interaction with soldiers like that. And then they become the com company commander. They do, but how direct is it, right? What type right. of leadership really is that? You know, is it, is it dealing with the one-on-ones, the, the counselings, the things like that that take place to actually understand a situation, have empathy or apathy, to be able to, uh, to make uh, good decisions? Now, don't get me wrong. They do get to make good decisions because they are educated. They do get to go to school all the time. But then let's we go from captain, then they may not get another command until they're if they're like say an aviation unit, they they can as a major, they can possibly get one, but there's very few slots for that. Then lieutenant colonel. And they're in charge of a, a battalion or something, and they're not and they're so far removed. It's you know, so when you compare leadership time, it's like, yeah, no wonder why, you know. There's a senior enlisted advisor. They've been doing this leadership thing nonstop for the past 20 years. Yeah, man. that's the idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and absolutely, I, that's the idea. Yeah, and I was frustrated for years with that because I I just I didn't see I didn't see that evolution take place where the advisor actually was really taken serious. But I've noticed, like, so our last Sergeant Major of the Army, uh, Sergeant Major Daly. I I personally I liked him. I loved his mentality. I love his thoughts. I mean, when he said. Sergeant Majors, if you're worried about people walking on the grass, you're in the wrong career field. You need to get out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and that's an actual statement he said. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how it should be. I'm not worried. Man, I'm. you know what? I make it a point to walk on the grass, buddy. Let me tell you. <laughs> so. Yeah, um, I don't walk on grass. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, but 
You know, one of my frustrations, Ed, um, and you probably would kind of relate to this, is, you know, the abundant number of problems compared to the time that we have to deal with it. Do you, do you find that to be um, an issue? Yeah. So, yeah, because then it becomes a balancing act, right? Like, you know, I got X, Y, and Z problems. Do I do I still go home at a reasonable hour to my family? Or do I stay here and continue to work X, Y, and Z? So it's very, you know what I mean? Like there's some decisions and it may not be nothing yeah. major. It could just be general work too. But yeah, there's there's a lot going on and you're like, where did the hours go? And then of course we're, you know, non-COVID times. We're doing physical training. So there, that starts your yep. day, you know. That, that, the old commercial, we do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. That's because that's when we do physical training. So unless you've already ran four or five miles, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so you can't really you can't really take from the front end because you're doing physical training. You got to shower, although some people are nasty and they don't. But uh, yeah. you, you could take from lunch, but, man, that's an hour and a half tops. I mean, you got to throw something down your throat hole, too, so you got to eat something. So you got an hour there you can gain. And then the only other place to gain time is the end of the day because guess what's not yeah. happening? There's no meetings after 1,700. There's no, you know, like rare those other little ankle biters are not there after 1700. Now you're taken away from the household and we're talked about before about yep. balancing yep. that act. So yeah, no, that's the thing, man. Like some days you're like, it, it, at least I find this, Brian, some days I have nothing going on. I'm like, it is noon. Like, how am I going to stay busy the rest of the day? And then other days it's 1800, you know, 6 PM. And I still got 50 things to take care of. So it's really weird, but yeah. Yeah, yep. that, that is frustrating, though. Oh, yeah. I, I just I, – I, I said that, man, because it's like I, – I, it's through the years, I felt that that has been the biggest um, time takeaway type situation for me. Uh, if – you know, it's – they were saying if 10% of the formation takes up 90% of your time, that is no joke, you know? When, when you have a formation that's, yeah. um, that's hitting 400 people, you think 10%? That's 40 people. 40 people's a freaking platoon. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? So yeah, there there comes times that you're just like, <laughs> wow, man. Um, I've had, I mean, and then there are other times where I feel like, man, this, what's going on? Nothing's happening. Um, I'm not having to deal with a, an issue or a problem. But on top of that, I'm not just talking about people either. I'm talking about like normal problems that come up you know making sure schedule things are scheduled properly and and getting people you know getting things done such as making sure you know readiness is taken care of so we can actually do what we got to what our job is to do and that's defend you know our nation through its wars you know and win uh but that's just one of those frustrations i've always had um and i kind of i want to i lump that into like headaches um but well, you said you you mentioned uh, working later. How have you ever felt about like yeah. basic? You know, because you think about it, we definitely work over a forty-hour week work week easily. There's there's, I mean, you you just you look at the math. Where I mean, even if you do the PT to five o'clock, you're 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 topping fifty-five hours, sometimes sixty. How you, how does it make you feel that we don't get compensated extra pay? <laughs> Well, I mean, at this point, it's just an acceptance thing. <laughs> but, yeah. 
you would die. think, <laughs> yeah. But you know, you know what, Brian? You would think that it would make you be like, okay, I'm not getting paid for overtime, so I need to get maximum effort for you know, in the time I'm here. Um, same thing with your peers, but then you guys, some guys, man, they will hold a conversation in that smoke pit for an hour, and it's like you're not getting paid extra, and you're not going home, you know. So I've always, when I had junior soldiers, especially when I was a squad leader, you know, we had go home task uh, and we laid those out for them for the day. So you can go mess around in that smoke pit, but you got go home task. So until that go home task is checked off your list, don't even come ask me about going home. Um, and, and it worked. It worked. It was actually pretty effective. I got my soldiers usually didn't work too late unless it was something that was out of my hands. But for me, you know, I would, that's when I would sit down. That's why I mentioned not having meetings. That's my decompress. I can focus on what I'm doing. Um, excellent example. You know, they were doing this big, huge exercise. It was like the biggest exercise in Europe in the last like 40 years or something. And I had to type up, you know, statement we're called statement of requirements for each of the country that we were going to be getting support from. And during the day, man, it's impossible to concentrate because my numbers have to be accurate. I have to calculate how many bottles of water do I need by location? Mm. How many meals am I going to need by meal type? So at 1630, 1700, when people start, you know, drawing off and leaving and my phone stops ringing and there's no meetings, I stayed one night, two nights, and just hammered them things out. But during the day, I didn't even touch them because it was pointless because, one, I was going to have some kind of error. And for me, you know, uh, uh, one zero. So instead of ordering 20,000 bottles of water, I ordered 200,000 bottles of water at $2 a bottle. That's a pretty big error. Yeah. So I had a, uh, hold on, Brian. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I yanked my head. I'm standing, so I yanked my headphone out. Um, <laughs> all right. You got my thumb caught on it. So, yeah, I just found it was easier to manage that. That's more recent. You know, back in the day, I just worked. And then you get just so frustrated as it gets dark. And you're like, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get those streaks, especially leading up into a deployment, Brian. You get those days where you come to work, it's dark, and you leave, and it's dark. Absolutely. And that might be the summer. When we get the extra days of, of daylight, yeah, or extra yeah, you're right. daylight, and you still come in in dark and leave in dark. It's so frustrating after a while, but yeah, I mean, well, we do what we do, like you said. Well, I, you know, and and I, I, I take, I say that because, you know, of about the whole frustration about over, over time and not we really don't get overtime, but I, I lead into what my new my battalion commander that I'm a part of right now, what he then he did. So what we did in my initial counseling. Um, and he went over some things and he talked about work-life balance, which you brought up a few minutes ago. And he Mm -hmm. said, he's like, listen, he's like, I'm a firm believer. There is no such thing. There's no way to do a good work-life balance. He said, there's, there's ways to mitigate issues, but you have to know how to apply certain things. And he said, one of the things that I, you know, I expect you to do is if you have to take care of something during the middle of the day you have seniority to go and do those things. You know, if it's for your family, you go do it. You know, the expectation of you meeting the mission, it's always going to be there. The intent is always going to be that my intent is that you're going to take care of what needs to be done at work also, but you have to take care of yourself and your family. And when he said that, it's like, you know, 
it's always been an assumed thing, if you if you know what I mean. Like it's always been assumed that okay, um, I can just take care of things during the day if I have some white space, then I'll do it. But it has never been said to me, especially by a battalion commander, that hey, if you need to do, just go take care of it. And I'm like, he's basically saying, hey, listen, you control your own schedule, do what you need to, make sure your family's taken care of, and make sure your job is done. That's it. And I'm like, you know, and that's like. I was always. I used to be frustrated with how much we used to work, and 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 it's almost like wow, we could get paid a lot more on the outside for as much work as we do in here. But when you have statements oh, yeah. like that, it it kind of makes you proud to say, "Hey, I'm a part of this," and I'm proud of the fact that I have an awesome leader who is engaged that much and cares about you that much that he wants you and is decentralized. Because if you think about it, that's very much a decentralized type of situation. And, you know, that, you know, it'll help you kind of make decisions, do the things you need to do and not have to worry about, am I going to get in trouble if I decide to go do this? So, yeah, I just, that's pretty awesome. That's, that's awesome that you mentioned that. Cue up our commercial. So that was also the philosophy of the bearded ninja. Are you scared of COVID-19? Not the bearded ninja. Why? With enough beard balm in that beard, he just tucks it up or over his mouth and his nose, and there is nothing getting through. That's right. That's the Bearded Ninja Beard Balm, made from snake venom and pomade. You can find it nowhere and sold anywhere. Not sold. <laughs> that was one of his uh, things. So, you know, basically, if you weren't teaching, he he was quick to say, don't you have some other some stuff for your family you could take care of or... You know, when you came to him and said, hey, I got an appointment, he's like, all right, are you teaching that day? Okay, go take care of what you need to take care of. So he he was very lenient in that regard as long as you weren't failing the mission. I mean, uh, heck, most seniors uh, at the – when I was uh, not a senior NCO or a senior uh, small group leader yet, most seniors were like that. Is your paperwork good? Are you teaching? All right, go take care of what you need to take care of. Uh you know, so it is a good thing and it, it feels good because really they're charging you saying, hey, it's your thing. Just make sure you don't fail. So, yeah, that's a good one, Brian. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about this, man. Uh, does, does email and admin stuff frustrate you? Email does. So email, I get, we have people who are email like habitual emailers and they'll send the same side three times in the course of a day. And yeah. Like, I can guarantee if I logged on, so I worked yesterday, right? It is late on a Saturday night here. If I logged on, I bet you I have 50 emails in my inbox. Oh, yeah. By Monday, I will have 100 emails in there. It's been, you spend, and and, and, you know, I try to do the Kevin Cruz thing, right? And and block off email admin time on my calendar. But that's one of the areas I usually fail at because 30 minutes, it seems like that should be enough time. Some days it is. Some days it is not enough. And now because we're close to execution of a rotation, that's why I know my inbox is full right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep, then you got to yep. sort through it. And yeah. And then, mm-hmm. you know, because we work with partner nations, it takes me a little longer because they their English is okay, but it's okay. So sometimes you got to read, you know, a partner <laughs> nation email multiple times to make sure you're because again this, some of these things could be money like this could cost a lot of money with these errors so you want to make sure i understand 
Um, and then I'm an old guy. So a lot of times if I read it two or three times and I still ain't getting the gist of it, I'm calling them. It's easier yeah. on the phone. I'm just more of a phone. I'd rather call somebody on the phone. Emails, sometimes I just, you're like, I am lost. Or uh, what about the emails you get forwarded, Brian? And there's an email chain on there. And you have to read the whole chain because this is the first time you've been in it to make sure that you can't read the very last email because you're like, what are they even talking about? Now I got to read eight emails for that one email to catch up. So that's probably the biggest. God. I did it again. <laughs> That's probably the biggest frustration for me, uh, Brian. Yeah. No, I I, I agree and this with that. Man. Oh my. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Your cord, your cord is definitely making you mad. Uh, no, I agree with you. So I have a few methods that I've I've been working with to kind of uh, approach the email and administrative stuff. But at the same time, it still frustrates me. Now, when the one you're talking about with the chains of like people that forwarded, replied, forwarded, replied, reply, reply, reply. Yeah, I actually, uh, I've been, I've been using this method for the past uh, year and a half, two years almost now, where when I open oh, up my email, share. I start at the very top and then I work my way down. Like so, the very very first one. Um, and one of the other things I do is I, I'll scan real quick. Cause you know, you have the little X in the outbox where you can actually, you don't even have to look at the email. You can just, you can just get rid of it. Like if it's emails that I know are duplicate or that I know are useless and uh, you know, just cause you know, you sign up, you had to put your email into something. You're like, oh, I wish I'd stop receiving these emails. I'll just X those. I get rid of them. But then I stop at the top and I work my way down. Um, uh, and I actually don't mind the uh the chain of emails as long as i catch it uh early on and i don't i'm not like what what happened here i'll because i'll as soon as i notice the fysa or you know for your situation awareness type situation Mm -hmm. i'll scroll right down to the bottom of that email and i'll I'll start at the bottom start reading it up and just catch the highlights throughout um but it does take a lot of time and yeah i find myself sometimes getting into a trap of trying to reply to stuff when I should just be observing what is going on inside my inbox and then coming back to it to make replies. Um, now there's a, there was a method that I was, I've been attempting to try to use for that is if I do want to reply, I just go ahead and do a reply or a forward. And then that saves in the drafts for me. Right. So then I can go back and uh, empty out my drafts later on. Ooh, yeah. It, it's okay. That's a decent idea. Yeah, it, it helps because then at some point I know I have to go into the drafts and I have to answer those. I can't, you know what I mean? Like I won't allow that number to stay there. But at the same time, because I, I did do that, I can continue on and not worry about forgetting to reply back to an email because that's the big thing too, right? Once you click on it, unless you uh, uh, right click and hit, like I think it's like um, mark un- as unread, unless you do that. Yeah you may lose that email, never find it again. And you'd be like, crap, I wish I would have, I wouldn't have read that or whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, so that to me, that could be a frustration. Um, and at the same time, one of my bigger frustration is dealing with, let's say emails and administrative data at the same time. For instance, when somebody sends me something and they need a reply or they need certain information and it's time sensitive, I, I've already, like I tell S3, I'm like, listen, if it's time sensitive, 
you better send me a text message letting me know that because then I can look because I may not be at my desk. I may not be able to check my email at the time. But I know if you send me the, you know, you you say, hey, I just sent you blah, blah, blah. I'm going to need a reply. Boom. Um, it was really cool. I got this. We got this really good uh, Sergeant First Class right now who's uh, a part of our, our group uh, and, and on our S3 that we're a part of right now because we're task forced off. Um, but he he sends me and he, he'll send me a text message. He, and I never even told him to do that. Like he needed some information about some names for something, right? And it was in an email. And I looked at the timestamp of the email and the timestamp on my phone. He literally sent the email and then sent me the text message to warn me that there was an email about it. And I was actually able to reply to his request just through the text message because I knew the information. So it's just, you know, there's things like that. Like I don't like to be, I don't like to be, uh, I guess, caught off caught off guard or caught by surprise by things when somebody like oh well, I sent you an email on that well yeah I'm not sitting in front of my desk 24/7 buddy I've got to interact I have to do battlefield circulation I got to I got to talk to my commander That's I have right. to there's a lot of things that have to go on so it's finding that that happy medium and I think really it comes down to you know the communication process and who you're communicating a lot with right um but when I think of that right I also think about the politics of, of the work area. Have you, do you notice that takes place or is it kind of like something that's kind of pushed to the side because of what has to, you know, the mission at hand? Well, so I'm fortunate. So where I work, there is only one DA civilian, one captain and myself. Right. Uh, so there are some politics, obviously, because like I said, we deal with the host countries. So there's some, you know, uh, let's say, um, you know, one of the instances we're using a country and currently because of COVID and the quarantine requirements, you know, there is a course of action where they're like, hey, we're not going to use that country. We're going to use a different country for the port. But we haven't used country A for a long time. And they're very vested. They're like, hey, we really want you to come here. Yeah. So we have to look at the political political ramifications of taking that out because that's a lot of money to that country too. Oh yeah. So that's why when we develop courses of action for the command to make decisions on, that's where the politics comes in in our office and stuff like that. Um, because a lot of my interaction is with the, uh, you know, at the embassy level, uh, a little bit of state department folks, stuff like that. So you got to look at the politics on that side, but internal to the office, I don't think we've really had that issue here um, so much just because we're small, three local national Germans, a civilian and a captain and myself. So yeah, I think I'm fortunate here, but I, I have seen it. We've seen it in the past. I mean, you and I've seen it together. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's, I was just curious, like if that was a frustration for you or not. So I find it sometimes is a benefit. And then also sometimes the frustration, the politics of things. So, like for instance, in my position, it's really about personal management, right? And be able to um, and to have the right people for the right job. And if I don't have the right people for the right job, sometimes I have to work with other first sergeants to say, "Hey, do you have a such and such that I could get because I need him for this mission?" Blah blah. blah you know. And if you don't, I don't have that problem here. Like I, I have to say, we have a really conducive group of uh first arms and that want to help each other out all the time which is really cool very connected uh, but i've seen it in the past mm -hmm. where people are just they're stubborn um just because they don't like you 
they don't want to help you. And it's like, it has nothing to do with me as a person. It has to do with the mission at hand. I've seen that before also. So I, I feel like um, that has been a oh, yeah. previous frustration uh, that it just, I don't know. It, it, politics can take its place. And people will be like, well, in the army, you're not supposed to talk about politics. I'm not talking about like regular politics. I'm talking about you aren't always going to get what you want and you have to persuade people somehow, some way. And there's politics involved. I mean, you, it's just, I mean, it, it's in anything you do. I, I, I'd be curious to see how much what we do and how we get things done actually works on the outside, you know, as a civilian, because I mean, some of the things, I mean, somebody say, Hey, we need you to build a skyscraper. There's a pile of rocks, make it happen. You know, daggone well, we're going to get it built. It's just how we get about it, you know? I mean, it's just, it's weird how soldiers function. Yeah. If I tell a soldier, hey, I need this mission done, a lot of times I don't want to ask how you're getting it done. I just need to know it's going to get done. So, uh, yeah, hey, you got to be cautious about asking how. <laughs> <laughs> uh, plausible, plausible deniability. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, real, real funny story on that. Uh, I was at the National Training Center, you know, many years ago. And, the motor sergeant told the mechanics they were doing whatever diagnostic stuff on a vehicle. And he said, Hey, y'all need some fuel. And they're like, well, the fuel cans are empty. He's like, I don't care where you get fuel from, but you need some fuel like now. So he goes, comes back. They got fuel. They're doing their thing. He's like, Oh, where'd you get the fuel? And they're like, you don't want to know. He's like, where'd you get the fuel? They had went to one of the vehicles in our sister platoon <laughs> and siphoned the fuel out of their vehicle. So he's like, no, I should not have asked how y'all did that. And that's just, they did that a lot, actually, stuff like that. But yeah, it made me think of that when you said, be careful with asking the how, how you made it happen. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's one of those things where I am very <laughs> careful uh, because, you, you know, you're like, because as soon as they said they did something illegal or immoral or unethical, you're like, yeah, no, put it back. Yep. Put it back. <laughs> and now I'm a party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, man, I think we had a pretty good conversation, although we didn't hit everything on here, and we probably could talk about the bottom, uh, the last bit, but I think I'd like to say that for later. Um, I, I did want to bring up one last topic to you that I wanted to hear your thoughts uh -oh. on, man. Um, are you aware that they're bringing Boba Fett back? Uh, I saw my wife posted something about Boba Fett showing up in the Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh but I, I did not read the article. I was listen, don't be judgy, all right? So I was watching the Apple Dumpling Gang when she told me about it on Disney Plus. <laughs> we are we are in no way affiliated with Disney Plus or the Apple Dumpling Gang. Listen, I, I love Tim Conway and Don Knotts. I was watching the Apple Dumpling Gang and then I fell asleep. She's met, I know I saw it and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll read that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's hilarious, man. Yeah, I mean, I find myself, uh, you know, COVID has definitely done a few things. And, and I guess we're going full circle on thing, how we're getting through it. Um, yeah, well. You know, it's, it is funny, though, that uh, the fact that uh, their stocks have gone like unbelievable whether it be netflix hulu or disney plus like those three and and hulu and disney plus are a, a package if you get it do you, did you guys get the full package with that or uh i don't know you know i don't do i don't do the budget stuff but i know we have both 
I don't know to what extent <laughs> she has them packaged or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I do know that when we go back to the States, we're talking about not going back to like cable. Man, we've been, we, it's just not necessary. Yeah. We, uh, as they call it, they call it cutting the cord. We cut the cord years yeah. ago. And I'm, and I'm telling you right now, I don't miss having regular TV. I, I don't watch the news. I never really do. I get all my information from Wikipedia and Facebook. Okay. That's how I learn everything. (laughs) (laughs) He's legit. (laughs) That's how I write my papers. Yeah. Straight (laughs) legit. If Justin Shumney posts it, it's real. I'm just saying, you know, (laughs) no, I mean, it's just, to me, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot easier just to, to pay for some internet and pay a little a little extra for a, a streaming service, and I don't have to worry. Um, I get to watch what I want, and if I finish the series, I start something new, whatever. But no, I just I wanted to get your opinion on that Boba Fett thing because I was I was pretty excited about it. Um, he's he's not my favorite character, but he is one of the characters that I, I've always truly enjoyed. Uh, and the fact that they're bringing the original guy in to play the part again is really cool. Part, yeah. Yeah, is it Tim? Well, I, I mean, Tamira Morrison is his name. I want to say, if if you watch the films from the you know four, five, and six, he didn't do a whole lot of talking, so he really no. did a lot of stand around and falling in a pit. But yeah, I've always liked Boba Fett. I always thought he was the coolest action figure because he had the rocket pack too. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Funny, funny. You talk about Boba Fett. So another company that's got to be making a ton of money is that dang on Lego. Um, during COVID. Uh, so they had these like little desk, just ahead of figures from Lego and Joe, you know, he got Boba Fett and sends it to my wife. The picture is like, Hey, look what I got. My wife is currently working on the sand crawler, the Jawa sand crawler. Uh huh. So she sends him a picture back. He's like, Oh, you suck. That's on my list. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> we're all over 40. We're all over 40, and this is our conversations. Hey, yeah. I have been building the Batcave. So Lego is a uh, it's therapeutic, but the 1989 Batmobile I still have not finished because I put one Lego in the wrong place, and I've got to disassemble half of the Batmobile to correct it, and I can't go forward. I think I told you this before, so I still have not messed with that thing because it's I'm, I'm worried it's going to just frustrate me more. <laughs> hey man just take it apart and have fun again that's it you know it's and it's funny that you brought this you you bring that part up so i'm gonna stray off on two different directions um first thing uh lego masters love that show i'm glad you kind of excellent show. you introduced that to us when when you did i think i sent you a picture i mean i don't i can't remember if i did or not but we started watching it and we got about oh, probably three episodes into the season and Next thing you know, our floor is filled with le- like Legos everywhere. <laughs> uh, I mean, like we have we have a ton of Legos. I, I, it's been upon bin upon bin, right? Uh, which I wonder if I could turn the, that into money. I'm wondering. Yeah. Anyway, um, but I, at the same time, then we also we started because once again, thank you very much, Ed, for recommending Master Chef. Uh, my wife and I, we oh, we kind of dove. Yep, we dove into that, and it's been it's been an experience. So there I am the other night, uh, two two nights ago. I'm making chicken, and but what I want a lot I like to do is I like to sear the chicken. In, she actually showed me this: sear the chicken, um, in a cast iron skillet, and then once it's seared, yeah. put it in the oven, let it bake. 
But then I was like, you know, I'll, you know, because I see people do it with steak all the time, where they just drop a stick of butter and then they just drizzle it over the steak. I did it with a chicken. Oh, they keep yeah, they keep running over it. Oh, it was so good. But she looks at me, she goes, "Way to go, Master Chef!" You know, like real smart aleck like to me. So yeah, but yeah, man. So <laughs> well, my wife. Yeah. So we have a routine now. When I cook, I cook and she plates. <laughs> <laughs> so she makes it look pretty actually yeah now tonight we, i just made chili tonight but tomorrow i'm making guinness stew mm. and so there'll probably be pictures coming eventually because she's going to probably plate it <laughs> the guinness stew uh, yeah no that show we're we're finishing season five tonight and we started when the covid really broke out hard in the first week of march when we got quarantined um and, and yeah so since the first week of march uh, we yeah we're finishing up season five tonight. It is so good, and Gordon Ramsay is just I don't know he's hysterical. He is he is, but he's he's got some empathy in him. You see it sometimes, like how much he cares. He does. Joe does not. Joe is a jerk. That Joe does not. Yeah. Joe throws away a plate every season. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so in one season. I don't know if how far y'all are. There's one season where he tells them you want to do the honors and he makes the contestant throw the plate in the trash. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so we got, we went full circle on this, man. We went from COVID life all the way through some leadership stuff back to COVID life. Uh, brother, I say, stay safe, man. Um, I don't really have much unless you want to tell people how they can connect with us. I will tell you how they connect with us, Brian. They can go to their favorite social media platforms such as Facebook or Instagram. They can find us there at 101 Influence. They can look us up on Twitter as well. We both have our individual Twitters. And then we have our website, the Instinctive Influencers Podcast website. You can go on your Google machine and find that. Check us out. Meet the faces. There's all kinds of information there. Um, wherever you go, wherever you go to see us or to interact with us, please do just that. Interact with us on Facebook, join the closed Facebook group, answer a couple of questions, get involved and, uh, whatever platform you're listening to us on, please like share rate, leave a review of the show and let us know what you'd like to see in the future. As you can see, the show is really becoming more fluid as we go. Some episodes were very, you know, we're never scripted. <laughs> if you listen to a show, you know we're not scripted oh, ever. But some shows were more structured. Some shows we like to really just free flow here. We got a couple of books coming up, Brian. And uh, mm, I'm- yeah, yeah, it should be an interesting ride the rest of 2020. I, I just I don't know if I'm ready for Murder Hornets right now. So yeah. I think I'll just stay in the house, my <laughs> friend. <laughs> I watched a video of a guy letting one of those hornets sting him. And his arm blew up like a freaking balloon, man. And he's not even allergic to bees or anything. It looked bad. So you're saying I should let it sting me on my biceps? <laughs> Make them buzz bigger. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, man, I'm glad you you said something about, you know, giving us a review. Um, for those of you out there, we're, Ed and I are all about learning from uh, the past or learning from what we've done. And if you're somebody who you know doesn't mind stating your opinion or mm-hmm. giving an idea of what you think, shoot us a message. I mean, you can do it privately through Messenger if you know us, or you can send us you know you can send us an email by going onto. You actually got to go onto the the website, get our email address, or you could just send it to the you know the the page. You know, he gave you the the, the information for the page, and just let us know what you think. Because to me, 
that's how we get better. We make the show a little bit better, uh, and we love opinions. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but other than that, man, I got nothing else for him. So I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. It's just two friends having a conversation. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>